I'm going to start with a nice word on Parshas Tazria, the Kliyukar, when he talks about the Tzaras, the naked Tzaras, right? Why Tzaras comes, and why we, why we have to, why someone has to go to a coin to take care of the Tzaras. So he says that the Pusik is Maram is on the three things that Chazal teach us from what the Tzaras has come, what brings Tzaras, what causes Tzaras. Udum Kiyeh Bo'er Besura Sa'is. Sa'is is Gava, right? Gavas. And it's coming for Gasas Ariyach, somebody is a Balgava. Hori, arrogant, thinks highly of himself. Oisapachas, that's the illusion Tfaila, that's the Indian of Choymed Kenyan Amuman. Somebody wants a lot of money, which is called a Tfaila because it's only a Tufel Udam, it's not part of a person's money, it's only something on the outside, nitful to him, doesn't, doesn't become part of him. And then there's the Baheras, which is the Levunas, which is coming for being Malbim Pnechavairoi and Lushan Hara, causing someone to to turn white, Uzal Simka Vusachivra, shaming someone. So these are different kinds of tzaras, and what a person and, and the tzaras is moitzira. It shows the, it shows on a person that there's, there's not good things in them, not good traits, not good uh, behaviors, and that's why he has to go to the koyin. Why? Because by koyin, by kahanim, zera harim, we find three midas toivas that are the opposite of these three. We find that aharim was a oiv shulam, roiv shulam, and he was a unav. We find that Aaron was even a bigger unav than than Moshe and Avraham Avini. But Moshe and Aaron says Nachni Mu. Moshe and Avraham Avini says Nachni Anochi Ufer Vaifer. We find that there was no Chemdas Hamumen by Aaron because they didn't have a Chaylik Menachla Beuretz. There was Zuchim Misholchin Gavoya and the Stapkes, and and there was no Tzuras Ayin. And that's why Sometimes with the Koyim, the Koyim was teaching him basically how to get rid of these uh, these these that he has. Being a Balgava, being Choymed, um, King Yemumen, and then, and then causing Tzara to other people. And, and the Torah is teaching us the good way to do things. The Torah is teaching us good Midas. People, people don't appreciate enough what good Midas means. People don't appreciate good character. People don't appreciate enough you know, idler Hanhoga, when people behave properly, when people have Yerushimayim. There are the real things out there. The real things that are important in life. Today, in, in today's world, there's a whole new um, list of qualities, list of qualifications. You see it when it comes to Shadikim, for example. People are looking for, you know, certain, um, call it certain talent, certain confidence, certain, uh, you know, the, the things that people like, things that are considered, like, amazing, so cre- creativity, and, and a lot of good And they're all wonderful. It's wonderful. You have somebody who's talented and creative and confident and outgoing and, 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 and that personality. It's all wonderful things, and it really is wonderful. It really is wonderful, and it does help people in life. I'm not in any way um, taking it away. But sometimes people consider that to be more important than, than the real things in life. The real things, whether it's, it's good midas, whether it's idolkite, whether it's achnua, it's humility, it's yirashamayim, there are important things in life. It's not only before Shidduch. I, I was recently talking to somebody who, unfortunately, there was a, a get, and a guy got divorced. Why? For the same reasons. Well, after Hassan, his wife realized that he wasn't so intelligent and he wasn't so bright and he wasn't so you know, creative and he wasn't so uh, whatever, whatever kind of future she wanted in a husband that she didn't think that he could live up to. He didn't have what it takes. You know, those kind of words. Now, sometimes those words are being used to describe things that are really much worse than that. They're just being brought out this way. But I can tell you, dealing with this single man, he was missing much nothing. He was Erlich. He was he was Yerushmaimlik. He was, he was a fine batamta. Mamash... He was, he was smart and, and fine and everything. He didn't have that glance. He didn't have that, that special, I don't know what, exactly what his, what his lady was looking for. For that you break a marriage? 
But that's what people do because because today there are different qualities that people might be looking for that are considered you know the real the real win. You know, you get the the special guy, the one who has you know, something special, amazing. And it's important to realize sometimes you you're actually giving up for the amazing things. And I've seen this. I've seen people when it comes to shadichim, they get the the amazing. Um, talented, uh, you know, outstanding, extraordinary qualities, and they don't even realize they're giving up on a lot of more basic things that are really more important in life. So it's just something to think about. The Torah is teaching us what's important. The Torah is teaching us that when somebody is arrogant, that's a problem. When somebody wants a lot of money, it's a problem. Sometimes we look at it like, wow, it's so aggressive, so ambitious, motivated. Sometimes it's part of a problem, or part of a big problem, or, or a problem of its own right. Who's talking about hurting someone else's feelings? saying bad things about other people. This is what's important. The Torah teaches what's important. The Torah is chaim. The Torah teaches us what's important in life. And something to think about and strive for. And with all the personal help and self-development that people work on these days, you know, trying to get to the things that they deem important, the Torah teaches us what's really important. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not in any way saying that a lot of these qualities are not good and helpful and useful tools in life. But it's just important to get the Torah dig a blick of what's really important and what we really should be working on and striving for and appreciating other people. With that, let me read a letter that I got. Okay, dear Rabbi Grun, thank you for all your shirim. I listen to both Yiddish and English. I really like your mahalach and guidance and feel lucky that I found someone with the right perspective, realistic and practical. You've helped me understand and deal with my sensitive child and I've been seeing a big difference. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Thank you. That being said, I'd like your opinion on how or if to deal with my oldest child, now 17 and a half. When he was a young child, I was sure he falls under the Asperger's syndrome. Spectrum, sorry. He had terrible tantrums when things were not as he expected. He had a hard time communicating and understanding other kids and always ended up fighting with them. He would also play very nicely on his own for long periods of time. In Cheder, he was first struggling socially and he would just say, tell him by recess or read. Then he started falling behind with his learning too and we were getting really worried. Chaz Hashem, he had a fantastic Kitazayin Rebbe. From there, things started going uphill and still are going up Baruch Hashem. He's now a gem of a boy, every parent's dream. He worked on his middas and never yells. Very nice to everyone, doing great in yeshiva socially and scholastically. Learns in his spare time and helps out in the house. So what's the problem? I read a while ago an article in Nafshi magazine where they describe kids exactly like him that turn out to be great bukhram until they get married and have a hard time communicating with their spouse. He's stuck not the biggest talker and I may have to pull answers out of him at times. How can I help him communicate better without sending him to a therapist and have him feel like he's a problem? Or, should I just let it go and not take an article so seriously? Okay, very good um, question. So, let's let's try to talk about different things over here that might be helpful for a lot of people out there. The first is what you ended off with. Let's start with that first. Should I not take the article so seriously? Now, articles are only articles. Okay, let me start with that. Um, articles... Sometimes, instead of bringing awareness and help, sometimes just bring about anxiety and problems and disappointments and discouragement and pessimism. That's, that's what they do sometimes. Now, again, I'm not against articles. I write articles myself. But articles sometimes aren't helpful. Even when they're bringing a certain amount of awareness, not bringing the awareness that's helpful. There was an article in one of their magazines called Hardened Hearts, and I spoke about it once or twice, and of course I got feedback, you know, some people who didn't like my attitude about the article, because they felt that the article was really a great article. What was the article? It was about basic, basically validating and justifying, I know it's two different things, people don't like to hear the justifying, but it was basically justifying why somebody who was hurt in a relationship might not be able to forgive and open their heart again, because they're so hurt already. Now, an article that justifies people who get stuck, 
and all the pain that they were that they were caused that somebody caused them. Forget about the fact that a lot of these people cause a lot of pain to other people themselves. I'm not even going through the whole thing again. But just justifying people who are stuck and can't forgive is not helpful to anyone. I know that many readers read it and they feel good. Now I, I feel justified. Now I feel validated. But that wasn't helpful. And the same is with, with, with articles in general that throw diagnosis and, and, and different ideas and assessments out there without really dealing with things one-on-one and having people go into anxiety mode and, and get all worried about... Uh, what they have or what their kids have or what might happen to someone or what this might be a, a symptom of. It's not helpful in most cases. It's not helpful. I'm not going to go into the whole idea now about the sonograms that people take to, to know things that they can't do anything about. I'm not talking about the ones that could. I don't want to go into the topic in general. But the, the people that like... Today's world is very into knowing things even when it's not helpful. And sometimes when it's not helpful... Then, then knowing is, is detrimental because knowing just makes you anxious. But forget about that. There's the idea that hearing about and talking about symptoms that aren't necessarily relevant to you but being worried that they might be relevant to you it just causes, it just causes problems. I remember hearing Rabbi David Olovsky talk about this once about how he was talking about a certain magazine that every week he had a new diagnosis. Every week his wife, his wife would read an article in the magazine and then tell him that you know she thinks based on what she's reading that he has this or has that or had that or is going to have this. You know, this is... This is obviously not helpful. That's first of all. So any article that's making you worried about your son's future without giving you any clarity about what really will be helpful, you're coming to me now to ask what could you do about it. So the article made you worried? I don't, I don't see that to be helpful in any way. That's first of all. In general, it's important to realize that a lot of these studies and articles and, and generalizations are, are, are so inaccurate. It's, it's mind-boggling sometimes. Mama, I read these things and I wonder... Like, and I'll tell you, the conventional approach very often is to study problems and give conclusions based on the problems they're studying. A lot, a lot of them, don't, they don't add up. I've seen many articles talking about, for example, kids at risk of the Derek crisis, for example, and coming up with certain conclusions. You know why kids go off the Derek, for example? Because this and this happened to them. Now, forget about the fact that, that the, 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 the statistic and the percentage doesn't add up and it's not a major... Uh, to, to look at the kids that are off the derech and realize that some of them come from broken homes and then start saying that the broken homes cause this without realizing that there are so many children from broken homes who aren't going off the derech and not taking into account, not discussing that, that Baruch Hashem, 80% of kids that are coming from broken homes don't have this issue at all. It's only 20%. For example, I'm just giving you an example. I don't mean anything specific about off the derech, even though I have, I have my own ideas about it and my own um, classes about it. Well, somebody told me recently, he was repeating for somebody that women that run companies or that manage have good uh, jobs, they're less feminine, and that's why they don't need their husbands, that's why Sean Bias is no good. A lot, of these, a lot of these studies are based on studying problems, noticing a certain common denominator between certain problems, without realizing how these are, I won't say isolated situations, but definitely a minority. If you notice 20 women who have good um, paying jobs and high um, positions in companies that don't have Sean Bias, and you're going to start making a theory that women who have big jobs in companies won't have shown bias, you're not taking into account that there are, there are 90% of women that do have good paying jobs, for example, and have wonderful shown bias. Now, what I mean to say is you're studying the problem and coming up with a theory, and now, and now um, I'm talking about it and publicizing it. Now people are, might be afraid to take a, a, a high position job because they won't have shown bias. It, it's, it doesn't add up. It's not accurate. A lot of these things are, are simply not accurate. And, and people take it too seriously. And people start getting worried. And people start blaming. Look, you know why you don't have shown bias? Because you, you have a good position. You have a good position in the company. And somebody told me that. So a lot of this doesn't make sense. A lot of this doesn't make sense. Now, 
I'm not saying there's no truth to any of these theories. I'm not saying that on some level, some degree, certain things should be taken seriously. That you know, Obviously, that's what study is about. You know, studying um, topics and issues and realizing certain trends and common denominators and, and learning to avoid mistakes. Of course, it's all there. But to start getting worried and anxious uh, and, and, and about people that are predicting problems based on, based on certain things that they noticed and, and then taking it more serious than it should be is obviously a problem. But more than that, a lot of times what, what, these, what these things accomplish, and this is already a big problem, goes two ways. I've seen people who um, throw on their spouse, for example, a certain label based on an article they read or based on a certain shear they heard. I've seen this many times. And, and they start using it against someone. Yeah, you're doing this because you have BPD. What makes you think your spouse has BPD? Because I read somewhere that somebody who does this and this has BPD. So because my spouse doesn't want to do what I want, they must have BPD because it says that somebody with BPD won't want to do what someone else wants. And if you don't want to do everything I want, then you have BPD. And now it became a household word. You have mental illness. I've seen very many situations where people who were clearly, clearly nothing to do with any kind of personality disorder were being labeled. And part of the reason they were taking it was because they didn't have a personality disorder. They weren't fighting it. And they thought that, I don't know, maybe it's even true, they were doubting themselves. But it's being used against someone to falsely and inaccurately and wrongly assess and label somebody because an article or a shear said so. So not only did that awareness just not was not helpful and just predicted something that's causing anxiety and, and uneasiness, it's actually being detrimental, it's being now used against other people. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, you, you like this because you have ADHD. You don't just throw labels based on an article who's describing something so inaccurately and so irresponsibly, not realizing that it could be causing a lot of problems now. And it's a general thing with articles that sometimes people will give an opinion and it can then be used against someone. And part of it, it's something that I try to remind my listeners to all the time, don't use what I'm saying against anyone. I'm trying to talk to you so that you could help yourself do the right thing, not to say, look what Rabbi Gruen said, it's a, you know, it, it shows that you're, that's not, that's not helping anyone. So anyone who's offering help, but it's not helpful, it's not, it's not help. So that's another reason to be careful. And then, just the flip side of that is people who justify their own shortcomings with labels that they gave themselves. Or even labels that they heard from other people who inaccurately um, labeled them. Yeah, this is how I am. I have, I have ADHD. Uh, this, is what, this is how I am. It's, it's, it's my OCD. So it's very easy to, you know, to, to justify your shortcomings because now you have a, a label. So I once mentioned this. I remember hearing some, from uh, some Rosh Hashiva who was saying you... you, you you can ask a boy, um, "Why do you get up late in the morning?" No, that I'm 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 a late I'm a late riser. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm someone who who comes. I'm very late. You didn't answer the question. I asked you why you're late. You said I'm late. What happens is a person likes to identify with the problem because now I'm I'm a I'm a late comer. Means that I'm not coming late. I'm simply a late comer. A late comer comes late. I'm not a on time comer coming late. I'm a late comer coming late. So what do you want from me? All you said, all you said was that you're identifying with a problem, and now it's justified because somebody who's a latecomer has to come late almost, right? That's what a lot of these labels um, do. So that's that's the first thing I just want to share with people to not take things so seriously, especially when it's not helpful. Now, I don't know if you meant to hint this in your letter or not, but I want to pick up on it. I think you did mean this um, that you assumed that your son was on the spectrum, right? Whether it's Asperger's or autism or whatever kind of uh, thing, and for me, from things that I explained in my classes or my book, you maybe came to realize that he's what I call a UV, a hypersensitive a sensitive child. And it seems like you realize over time that he might not really have this whole spectrum issue in the first place, which is very fascinating. Because sometimes you see something as a problem, you assume that it really is a label or a diagnosis. And when understood properly, just taking someone 
seriously and realizing that they have a certain personality which may be different than yours and what you expected of someone who is just like you or just like another one of your children might be different when you realize that he's not, the whole thing disappears and, 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 and dissolves. And I've seen very many people, again, I'm not going to give all the examples because people, people get offended sometimes and take it too personally when I will question a certain diagnosis or a certain understanding that they're using, but they're running their whole life with a certain special needs attitude, for whatever reason they want to, for whatever reason that they appreciate it or whatever, I'm not going to go into that either, um, but they have a child with special needs. I started realizing, who said, treat him the way he has to be treated, be mechanech al and you realize, I don't know, this, this boy of yours who seemed to have major issues, um, somehow they, they, there was a major change in Kitazayan, and it seems like everything just changed. Now, again, if he had a serious spectrum um, issue or a syndrome or a disorder, I don't think a, a good Rebbe would just like that be so helpful. Right? It doesn't sound like he had major therapy or major intensive, I don't know what. So it just goes to show. Now, by the way, it just goes to show what one Rebbe could do. It goes to show nobody should ever underestimate what kind of help you could offer a child or anyone for that matter. Uh, but it goes to show a lot of things. But the first thing that it goes to show is what sensitivity in children is and when understood properly that when somebody is fragile and sensitive and that's his nature and you deal with it and you make him feel comfortable and you make him feel good about himself he could blossom often when I talk about sensitive children especially when I explain that very often sensitivity natural hypersensitivity is at the core of a lot of problems that children deal with people see it like oh so a child who's sensitive is a, is a problem child or at risk or you know susceptible to all kinds of different issues which the answer is yes but but the best child in every class and the worst child in every class, the worst, the most challenging child, let's call it, and the best child are both very sensitive children. The sensitive child who's feeling good will be sensitive to wanting to, to, to succeed and wanting to please and, 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 and perfect himself in a lot of different areas, which is wonderful. Being sensitive doesn't mean he'll be a problem. It means that when his sensitivity and emotions are challenged in the way that he can't handle it and his, his lower tolerance you know, is causing him to become a bigger problem than he was, yeah, that, that's a problem. But when you deal with him the right way, and he has a Rebbe or parents who know how to bring out the best of him, he's wonderful. And it's something that people have to remember and know. As a matter of fact, part of the change that you see in a child sometimes, the fact that one year he's like this, another year like that, or in some relationships doing wonderful, and some relationships doing terrible, that alone, that alone, I talk about this often, is a sign of a sensitive child who's reacting to his emotional comfort level. Most children are more consistent than that. There's the other extreme example. The, the happy-go-lucky kid is happy-go-lucky in kindergarten and sixth grade. And when he gets married, it's a certain happy-go-lucky attitude that basically, you know, baglite aim wherever he is, whether it's at home or at school. And he has something that's always with him. But the sensitive child is more reactive, and that's where you'll see big changes. So if in Kita Vov he was doing like that, in Kita Zion like that, that alone is a sign of a very sensitive child and just goes to show, you know, what could become of a child who's doing so wonderful. Baruch Hashem, Chaz Hashem. I see that you're very thankful and you appreciate what happened to this boy of yours who's Kanai and Har doing amazing now in every area. Now, sending him for some kind of therapy, which is basically your question, to be more talkative and more expressive and things like that. Let's start with this. Therapy will not change anyone's nature, if you like it or not. Shvira Sateva, in general, means a person should break their nature, not change their nature. People send others, sending someone for therapy, hoping that they'll change and become different and become more extrovert and more expressive and things like that. It starts with realizing, first of all, that somebody who's less expressive and less talkative is not a problem. Just last week I said a shir for Bukhram, and a Bukhram was saying, you know, he feels a social anxiety, and he's more shameful, more shy. The first thing you want to remember is, it's okay, there are a lot of people like that, it's, it's quite normal. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't try to work on being more comfortable, more confident, more expressive, but, it, but it's normal. It's not a major problem. Seeing a child who's more shy, he's more shy. This is nature. To think that you're going to start sending him places and he'll automatically become naturally less shy, it brings a lot of disappointment, first of all, when you see it doesn't happen. And, and it's, it's a lot of times focusing on a natural, let's call it a weakness, for lack of a better word, and making it into a major issue, hoping to overcome it, and if not, then you're just a failure because you can't overcome that weakness, instead of realizing it's part of a package, it's not terrible, and as long as it's not interfering with someone's life, as long as it's not next level where it's a problem and, and somebody's just being trampled because they don't know how to express themselves, or avoiding any social setting because they don't know how to, you know, as long as it's not terrible, sometimes it's fine. As a matter of fact, spotlighting an issue and focusing on a deficiency can sometimes be a bigger problem than the problem itself. So often somebody gets so, so it's a collapse from it and so, uh, you know, if they feel so knocked by it that it just takes them over and now they feel like a failure in every area because, because this is becoming a major issue. So this is definitely something to take into account when you want to send someone for help. Do, do they really need help? How much will the help help? Does he want help? Will he feel bad about the help? I, I say this about a lot of different things with children. It's better to wait till somebody wants help and feels good about going. Until then, maybe it's not worth making an issue out of to push someone to make them feel like they have a problem. When you are sending someone for help and they're okay with it, do it in a Bakovitic way, not where they're going to a therapist or somebody who's going to make a whole case out of it and give them labels and names and threaten them. People tell me this. A therapist makes them feel like you're never going to get anywhere in life if you don't overcome this issue and now they're dealing with this new phobia and this new anxiety that they have that they won't get anywhere in life because somebody... Has to, everything has to be done in a gentle way that's working with someone, not making especially sensitive children. They're not going to feel more to clap by the help they're getting. If they can go to someone who's more mentor than therapist, or go to a class that simply um, teaches social skills and confidence instead of going to somebody who's taking care of anxiety and OCD, there's so many ways to present something in a way that it's comfortable and makes someone feel good. And every little bit of progress they'll make, they'll feel like they're really um, doing amazing, wonderful work instead of, you know, I'm not really over my issues yet. It's all about how this is presented and when and things like that. I'm not going to say that no therapy is helpful. I'm not going to say that that you can't get a certain amount of benefit, overcome a certain amount of weaknesses, and people always tell me, no, I had that weakness, I did over... Everything could help a little bit. But when you do it the right way, and you don't get overtaken by the problem, and if the right way doesn't present itself, then, then sometimes you just leave it, and we'll be fine. That alone is, is sometimes a better way to go. Now, let's, let's talk about the article, because that's what you mentioned over here. The article says that when people get married, they have problems. Again, this is... This is it's a question I get often, by the way, when I talk to parents about children, especially children that are sensitive, and telling them, you know, be careful, and, and, and take a child's uh, emotional comfort seriously, and, and don't challenge them too much, and whatever. And very often, the first question I get is, and what's going to happen when he gets married? What's going to happen if the person he marries um, is, is not going to take him seriously, and is going to challenge him and make him feel bad? So there are a few answers that I give, and let me try to squeeze them all together. The first thing is that when you as a parent know how to build a child and take care of them, instead of challenging them, instead of fighting them, then over time, their tolerance level will grow. Their self-esteem and their, and their emotional health will definitely be stronger than it was, and they'll, they'll be more ready for marriage than, than, uh, than if not. So you're already accomplishing a lot. It's not like, so what, what's the point? If anyway, it's only for a few years that I'm, I'm going to be here with him, but after that, he's going to have to deal with the world who won't be so sensitive and so, and so tolerant and so kind. The world is a hostile place, don't get me wrong. But you're definitely accomplishing a lot over the time that a child is not being battered by the time he gets married. But there's something more to it, and that is that if you marry off your child to somebody who's going to eat him up and not be respectful and challenge him in the ways that you used to and you learned not to, then he probably will not deal with it right. 
when it comes to a shidduch, it's important to take these things seriously and know that you're marrying your child to somebody to the best of your ability and koyaches and ashtadlis and ashkochaprutis married to somebody who will be respectful and take care of him. And yes, you could assume that somebody who's doing so well since Ketazayim, somebody who's doing so well in your home uh, will do just as well in Mitzvah afterwards. And I have no reason to, to assume that not just because the article said so. As a matter of fact, I think anyone who marries the wrong person, I don't want to say from the wrong person, I think it's Bashar, I mean to say anyone who marries somebody who's going to be extra challenging could suffer. And it's true that somebody who's more sensitive could suffer even more. There are people out there that are wonderful communicators, very expressive, very confident, and they marry somebody who's abusive and whatever kind of personality disorder or whatever issues you want to call it, and they suffer and they don't manage well. It doesn't have to be someone who can't communicate. And it is true that somebody who can't communicate that well is not assertive enough could suffer even more if they're not marrying someone who, who, who's going to be considerate and kind and respectful. So this is definitely things that you want to that you want to take into account. I think that a Mitzvah if you marry your son off to somebody who will be at least as respectful and, and kind-hearted and understanding and accepting as his Ketazayan Rebbe was, I think that person could, could you know, could bring out the best of your son and let him shine forever and ever with Hashem's help. And I've seen parents that were actually surprised, not, not in your case where he was doing well, on the contrary, boys that were not doing well in yeshiva, boys that were not doing well at home, and they got married, and all of a sudden, wow, he's blossoming, look what happened. Oh, that's what happened, that's what, that's, what a, that's what a woman could do, that's what a wife could do, and the same thing the other way around, that's what a husband could do to a wife. So you'd be surprised how many people are struggling you know, during, uh, while they're not married, and, and marriage brings out the best of them. Now marriage is not a hospital, and if you're dealing with a, a serious problem, you should take care of it before someone gets married, and not hope that marriage will take care of that OCD or, or bad anxiety or big problem. But if you're dealing with a boy who's happy and doing well, to be worried about an article that told you that when he gets married he won't do well, I think it's ridiculous, and I think sending him for help and turning it into a big problem is probably going to work against you, and, and not something to take that seriously, based on what you're describing, obviously, with that disclaimer. What you could do, you could definitely give your child the confidence that he deserves about how good he is and how great he is and how wonderful he is. And that's going to do a lot more than somebody who's trying to help him with a problem that he may not even be aware of instead of making him aware of it. I think, I think it's very important. I have, I have people come to me, whether it's Bukram or young men, and they tell me different things about themselves and, and part of the thing is, and I don't know how to express myself, I don't know how to communicate. I don't know. And I say, you know, if you, didn't, if you wouldn't have told me that, I would never have known it. You're expressing yourself for the past half hour to me beautifully, clear, articulate, confident, who, who convinced you that you can't express yourself? As a matter of fact, sometimes it's Kadai to convince someone that he could express himself well, even when he can't. I remember somebody was once speaking about Shei and he was doing a pretty poor job. And I, I remember hearing somebody who didn't say it um, in a way to ridicule or to make fun. He said it you know, with Chochmah. You know, he must have had amazing parents. If he had the confidence to get up there and speak when he's really not good at it, he must have had a, a mommy who taught him that he's, a, that he's great. And you think about it, there's something about that. I'll, I'll mention briefly something that I've, I've said in the past about one of my children. A sensitive child, and I remember I got a call from his Rebbe about how no good he is and how this and how that. It was the beginning of the year, and, and you better tell him something, and if not, I don't know what's going to be with him. And I, I, I realized it's the beginning of the year, I don't want to ruin this relationship so quickly between him and his Rebbe. And I called over my son, he said, you know your Rebbe called, he said, you're amazing. He said, you're intelligent, he noticed right away, sharp boy. He heard good regards from the Rebbe from last year. Amazing. And so he's looking and waiting to hear something else because he knew the first day, that, or the first two days, they had a run. No, that's what he told me about you. A week later, the Rebbe calls me. He says, you know, I must thank you for really give it, giving it to him over his head because I must say he's a different boy. A different boy. 
What did he need? He needed someone to tell him, you're an amazing boy, and your Rebbe thinks you're amazing, and and Hashem. And, and hearing that you're not amazing, you have to work on your derecheres, and with this new Rebbe, it's not going to work like that, and you be careful, the first day he's not tolerating, that wouldn't have been helpful. So you have to think about it. A lot of times with a little chachman, a lot of tefillah, a lot of set shmaya. So my message to you is that I don't think you should, you should be worried. I think if your son's doing well, you should make him feel like he's doing well, you should be thankful, you should daven to Hashem, and when I yourself find him a good shidduch, to the best of your ability, it's all, it's all in Hashem's hands, and when I yourself, that, that which worked in the past, whether it's your understanding, whether it's whether it's the way Hashem set up his Kitazayan Rebbe and his capabilities and everything else, I believe that should um, continue on. And with your confidence in him and him knowing that you believe in him, and I believe everything else that Hashem is going to run and, and, and the good midas, like I started off with, what the Torah says is important. It's not always about the confidence, not always about the, uh, about the communication. It's about, it's about being a good person, learning, davening, having your Shemaim. That's what you want to instill in your children. Work with what they have. I believe that each and every one of our children.